Life is what happens to you while you make other plans. I think that neatly summarizes what happened to this episode. Welcome back to Radio Life Ray, and I think this is the longest cliffhanger in the history of Radio Life Ray. Back in March, in episode 56, that's two episodes ago, I spoke to Jorge Ferrer, the VP of Engineering here at LifeRay. And if you recall, we did not finish in time. It was already quite a long episode and we ran totally ran out of time recording. Now we continued a while after this previous recording and then it just sat on my disk. Now, this recording has been done in a time before LifeRay Portal 7 CE and LifeRay DXP have been released. doesn't really matter. All of the information that you find in this episode is still very relevant. Just keep this in mind when you're listening to the conversation, that some of it might actually be in the wrong tens. So... Uh, speaking about the release, we talk about the future. Right now, it's in the past. And yes, I totally could have retrofitted a fully matching release date into this recording uh, just for the fun of it. But, well, I didn't. Anyway, please enjoy this second half of the conversation with Jorge. I think he gives quite a lot of interesting insight. Welcome back, Jorge. And uh, we have had to interrupt our previous episode, uh, now continuing where we left off. Um, hi again. Yeah, hi again. Very happy to be here. <laughs> so this, um, for a change, this is an episode that does not need a real introduction of the VP of Engineering. Uh, I'll do this far, but uh, you actually have just been on uh, in the previous episode, so uh, people will still remember you um so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've had to interrupt our discussion midstream uh, just for timing reasons and there were so many more uh, issues and bullet points that we had on the list on the notes that we made before this conversation that um i think we should go in and uh, definitely continue and the first point on here is something that is not really deeply LifeRay, LifeRay 7 related, but it's more abstract. Uh, we stopped or we finished, I think, on the architecture of LifeRay. And now um, the next bullet point here is on buzzwords, uh, which is uh, the current buzzword microservices uh, and so on. Now that we modularize LifeRay and build a gazillion of small modules uh, or microservices, uh, it's it's hard to to ask a question about microservices or about uh, uh, or about um, buzzwords uh, like this. I would just say I'll give you the stage and the microphone uh, rant on. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. Well, my microservices, as you say, it's it's been a buzzword for a while. Uh, when I first read about it, probably two or three years ago, I actually really, really liked the concept. And, and I, uh, to a very large degree, I still do. I think it's it's been a breeze of fresh air since I started doing web development a long time ago. Uh, it almost seemed like uh, there was this one way of developing a web service. Uh, uh, when I say a web service, uh, 
a web whatever, web application. And it was this way. It, it evolved in a certain way. You, people were talking about these three layers for very long. Um, even one of the most disruptive forces uh, in the past few years, which, which was uh, Ruby on Rails, um, which I think improved a lot of things in, in everywhere, not only in the real world, but uh, it was all very similar. And then microservices come and it changes things and it makes people think what's good and what's not. And I think that's what I, what I love most about microservices. Um, I started uh, being a little bit more concerned when it became a password, right? Because when it became a password, when it, whatever technical term, when it becomes a password, then there are drawbacks tied to it. Uh, so I kind of have a, a sense right now that just like previously, everybody was doing things as a monolith. Uh, now it seems that if you're not doing microservices, you're obviously doing it wrong because everybody is doing microservices, right? Yes. And yeah, so uh, and I think that that way of thinking is is uh, always wrong. Uh, to any technical decision, to any technical option, I always think there are drawbacks and benefits. And if you're not fully aware of what are the drawbacks and benefits, it's much easier for you to make a, a bad choice. And if that choice is being made uh, highly influenced by the fact that something is a password, like microservices is now, then it's uh, it's not such a good thing. Uh, I think it's been good that some of the most well-known proponents of microservices, such as Martin Fowler, has been very vocal about this as well and has uh, written articles about the drawbacks of, of microservices. There are a lot of, of those. Uh, there is also some people like David Hennemeyer Hansen, the, the guy leading uh, Basecamp and, and Ruby on Rails, who actually last week wrote this this article, or maybe even this week, uh, called the, the Majestic Monolith, uh, who is uh, arguing that monoliths are, are not necessarily bad. It's it's a really nice article. Uh, maybe you can provide a link to it. Uh, and then we have guys such as the Stack Overflow guys who say, hey, I have a monolith and it's just four servers in production. And you know all developers know how well that's working. Um, so uh, I think it's microservices in general, even with the consequences of of being a buzzword, in general, I think it's, they've been a breeze of fresh air. I think they are very good. And what I would say to anyone listening is that just approach this option, this technology option, like you would any other, that is not a buzzword right now. Uh, think a few years from now, and it's not a buzzword anymore. It would still be a good idea for you. And probably the, the number one thing to keep into in mind is that um, that microservices is distributed software. And distributed software is really, really hard. And the open source tools out there that help with building and connecting microservices, they are great. And there are more and more. And it's making distributed software easier, but it's still really hard. Uh, my general impression is that um, if you or your team uh, has had trouble creating a, a monolith, and ended up creating a mess, uh, probably doing microservices, you will have a different type of mess, but it will still be a, a, a mess and uh, yeah, with a, with a bigger gun because you can, you can do more harm with distributed software than with a distributed software. Um, so kind of related to this, I, I moved, uh, um, well, I was actually very 
uh, surprised, very uh, very pleased actually with one presentation that I I saw about this topic, and it was actually just accidentally uh, delivered by someone from LiveRay at an online event at a Java event, and that's a talk from Milen talking about the difference between microservices and modularity, and the difference between uh, the medicine and the cure, or something like that. Awesome presentation. Uh, I will link it in the in the blog post as well, Olaf. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, because uh, there are two main benefits of of modularity. Uh, there are many benefits, but they can be grouped in two things. One of them is the benefits of modularity of building modular things, so that different teams can work on different parts, and they have a a, a contract, which is usually an API, um, and then that allows them to work independently and then deploy independently and and so on. Right, that's one of the benefits. The other group of benefits are regarding to um, scaling and being able to scale different parts of an application or, or web service independently. Um, but I would say that this second group is, is probably uh, not the main reason yet why, why people do it, or at least maybe they, they take it into consideration as a theory. It would be great to be able to do that, but not so many people are, are uh, benefiting from that yet, other than you know the Googles, Amazons, Netflix, etc. Mm-hmm. And then the first part, which is modularity, there are other ways of being modular, right? Uh, there are in-betweens. And, and he, I think he introduces this concept uh, to me in this talk, and he introduces the concept of what uh, I've later heard from other people, which is the NVM microservices, mm-hmm. uh, which is a term used to differentiate a way of doing microservices uh, that are just as modular, but they all live in the same VM. They are all executed in the same VM. And why would you want that? Well, the main reason why you would want that is because you suddenly solve many, many of the challenges of distributed software. And probably the the reason why this has never uh, caught up, at least not until now, I'm hearing it more and more lately, is because you know it's uh, out of the technical technical solutions out there. Probably the JVM. And especially thanks to the work of, of the OSGI uh, community, the OSGI ecosystem, uh, it's the only technical technological platform that makes it possible right now. At least to a, to a degree that it's really uh, comparable in, in benefits to uh, distributed microservices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely sounds like something that I want to see here and listen to and i hope that there's a recording and not only the slides but i'll figure out where they are and uh well if necessary schedule a session with milan who is well known yeah. to the radio life Ray listeners so it's a good idea to talk to milan yeah <laughs> and it, there is a recording yes perfect so i'll be able to find that hunt him down and find it uh great so I would say uh, after this rather abstract thing, uh, let's get back to very specific life ray things, uh, which is at the time of this recording, we are still in the beta cycle. We are recording this while beta 8 is out, uh, which means that um, there soon should be a release candidate and, um, and uh, soon after that, hopefully, well, sooner or later, you will tell me. Uh, we do expect a GA version of uh, Community Edition and then a bit later uh, of Enterprise Edition as well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so let's talk about the release process and what we had so far. Uh, we have seen, I think, scheduled weekly betas, which were sometimes weekly, sometimes uh, it took two weeks. Uh, so another week was skipped. But uh, hey, we're at beta 8, so quite a bit has happened. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I've been uh, explaining the process in, in several blog entries. Uh, but in general... Uh, we already did this for 6.2, and, and we the experience was good. Uh, we wanted to follow um, a more strict process towards releasing, in which we have alphas, betas. Previously, we even, we also had milestones. Mm-hmm. Uh, then release candidates, uh, and then one of the release candidates eventually becomes a, a general availability version, which is what we consider to be uh, ready for production use. Uh, so... I'm actually very happy with, with the process so far. We have improved significantly, especially in, in the quality criteria uh, compared to, to last uh, time with 6.2. I think we're actually very, very strict. And we've actually uh, been even in, uh, instead of what usually happens, which is uh, you lower the, the bar, uh, in general, we've actually uh, raised the bar for ourselves. Like once we got used to to hey, we're releasing beta, we we've published these requirements. Um, but we want to do even more. We, there there has also been some cases in which we had to drop one requirement uh, here or there. But in general we've we've raised the bar. Um, first for beta and now we're we've been doing it for RC because we are taking it very seriously. Uh, we this release is is a big change. Uh, it's, it's a big improvement, and we we want to put a lot of emphasis on on quality when it when it gets out. Yeah. And then regarding uh, what you say, it's, the betas are weekly. Uh, up uh, uh, until now, I think we've only skipped one week um, because yeah, we created and when we created, we found a a, a significant regression that was introduced by a last minute uh, bug fix as well. Um, so we thought it it didn't make sense to to make that public. So we just waited for the next week. Mm-hmm. We are actually going to skip this week as well. Uh, today is Thursday, so tomorrow we would need to make it public, but we are not. And the main reason is because um, we are actually getting ready for RC. We've we've already met the criteria for for RC, and we are getting ready. And um, because of the modularity, we think go into the benefits of modularity, but we we want to be able, we're working towards being able to uh, release in uh, specific parts of the uh, of the whole product independently in the future. And, and yeah, we're making some structural changes to to the way we release, not the product itself, but the, the, the way we make releases to make that easier in the future. So we're, our RC will be released with that process, obviously. Uh, so it's taken us more than one week to create that release, and and yeah, I, I hope I know exactly um, how many days it will take, but we're talking about days. So depending on how long it takes you to publish this episode, maybe even by the time it's published, we already have an RC. As as there is another episode before this, uh, uh, that is our first episode. Uh, I'm doubting that these two will be out before. I'll do my best, uh, but also I don't want to publish them uh, one day after the other. Yeah. 
Um, however, there's there's one uh, one button that you just uh, pushed with me, which I want to uh, to to catch you on, uh, which is you say you make structural changes to the process, but not to the product. Uh, but just recently, there was a major refactoring uh, going on in the product, uh, which is several modules have been renamed uh, and so on. Can you talk about that? Uh, there were two changes. One of them is uh, renaming in package names. And that's the type of change uh, that it's usually better to do ahead of time. But uh, that it was the, the only solution that we found to, to one problem that came up during this beta process, um, yeah, which, is, which is related to uh, being able to, to turn on and off and, or remove or add different modules. Mm -hmm. uh, so the best solution we found was renaming. And then uh, I, I was not sure if we, you were referring to that or also some uh, source code reorganization to make it easier to release, uh, yeah. to make these releases. That I, I just saw uh, files moving around. and that, that was, Yeah, uh, a deconfiguration of, of our translate system, translate.library.com, that is powered by Poodle. Uh -huh. Yeah, so... That, that was bad from our side. That's all, all I can say. Yeah, the translations were how I saw it. And then I saw that my, my Git uh, updates actually gave up on detecting renames. And they uh, they basically just treated it as new files unless I set uh, some parameter to a ridiculously high uh, value. So that was uh, that was one of those, and then uh, of course with working on the translations, I saw that uh, well, several of the translators uh, that we're working on Git and not on Poodle um, had to uh, chase down the files that they were translating at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then, well, that's at least an explanation for that uh, uh, to the engineers that started this. Please be aware that uh, hey, there's more people working on the modules uh, than just you. Um, but we have discussed this uh, internally already. I just wanted to make like carry this out in public uh, in case somebody else has had some pain. We are very much aware of that and suffered of that uh, yeah. on our own as well. And we hope that it won't happen again. Now, at least it's well known in public. Uh, I hope that nobody uh, takes it as, a, as an offense, but rather as an opportunity to uh, improve in future. Yeah, and it, it also speaks for um, uh, the, the, the very significant work that, and the people working behind translate.library.com have done. Uh, what they have done is, is really complicated and, and the way they've made it possible to improve translations through the source code directly and also uh, through the UI and everything syncs up together. There is complicated software uh, that probably not everybody knows about, either those using it or, or those just working with the code. And because it's really complicated what they do. And, and it's precisely because of that, not knowing how complicated it was, that it was not identified early on that it was going to be affected mm -hmm. by, by these changes. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I would, I would also use the opportunity to, to give some kudos to the people working on that. Um, and also because they've, they've worked really hard to fix it uh, and to adapt that system to the, to the, to the changes in in the source code, uh, yeah, so that everybody could could continue translating again. Yeah, right. Uh, there's another um, sneaky thing that I would like to get in, um, trying to test you on that. Uh, you love wait, that, right? I, yeah, I totally love that. <laughs> uh, 
consider myself either a smart ass or an ankle biter, depending on the <laughs> depending on the direction of which I come. Uh, the criteria for beta or, re, uh, or release candidates that you uh, published, there's actually two two questions to it. Um, I just recently figured out that uh, all of those criteria don't include feature complete. So when when do you expect LifeRay to be feature complete? Uh, in in the beta state, in the release candidate state, in the GA state? Yeah, I I, I always have found that that term feature complete is like one of these big words or big terms that means different people to different different things to different people. Um, and it's a common source of confusion because whenever it's used, uh, someone will come and say, hey, that's not what I consider by feature complete or you violated this. Uh, so personally, with my definition, I would consider that once the first beta was out, it was already feature complete. But that's just using feature as the way I interpret it, which is an new uh, way of doing something or a, a, a functionality to allow doing something that otherwise would not be possible, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when we release betas, it's the first time that many people see the product and we receive very, very valuable feedback. Um, and then as a result of that feedback, hey, we, we do improvements. It's super valuable to us. It makes the product, it has made the product so much better. This is something that I've been talking a lot with people within Liferay and outside Liferay if you compare beta one or even alpha one to what we have right now, it feels so much better as a product. Yeah, that's because annoying. obviously the, the stability, but it's also because of lots of very small improvements that has been the result of all this feedback, right? Mm -hmm. So some people might consider that then it was not feature complete. And I, I think it's completely acceptable. And under that definition, it was it was not feature complete and it will not be feature complete versus RC. But I think it's a definition that is not uh, useful enough. Uh, we have not made any architectural changes. We have not made any any uh, let's just say significant features added. Uh, it was funny because uh, uh, I'm going to say this, Olaf. I'm going to uh, <laughs> uh, turn it against you. Uh, <laughs> you were mentioning how we we had introduced uh, SPA during the beta cycle, because now you were seeing how when clicking on something, you, you were seeing the bar mm -hmm. um, at the top. And in reality, that feature has been there for over a year. But the reason why you and probably some other people, maybe some of the ones listening, may have thought that it was not there is because it was barely visible. And that was actually one of the feedback that we've gotten from different sources that as they were testing beta, and we agreed. So the, the UX team, together with the front-end developers uh, in front-end infrastructure, just got together. It was very easy, yes, for half a day and tried different things and, and came up with a better way of, of showing that status and, uh, and that progress. And that feature that had always been there, now suddenly it's visible. Uh, it's not that we've introduced that, that feature, but rather than now it's it's visible. And I, I would say things like that have happened during the whole process because we've received feedback from people saying uh, things that they didn't see or, or based on the feedback, when once we scratch uh, beyond the surface, we realize, hey, it's, they are not finding this feature. They are not doing that. So, for example, we've, we've uh, put a, a low bar on the usability, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. It's one of the big improvements of Line 7. 
the usability improvements. So uh, it's it's a great way of doing like uh, community-based usability testing or mass usability testing mm-hmm. to hear to all this feedback uh, from people. And then obviously we, we then try different solutions and, and do further testing on or RN. And we've done a lot of those as well. Yeah. So uh, in general, I, I think we've been quite strict with not making uh, big changes. There have only been a few um, well-thought-out exceptions when we didn't find any any alternative and we we thought the risk uh while existing existing uh was less than and the drawback of not fixing the issue okay that sounds like a good um well actually that doesn't sound like a good answer i think that is a quite good answer in explaining um quite well from a totally different viewpoint um what i have seen and Uh, well, thanks for the explanation. Uh, I hope that this clarifies a bit uh, for others that uh, so far had a similar position like me, just not knowing everything. Um, this adds a significant amount of information to it. There's one more hardball that I have, um, which uh, I'm really curious now uh, how you answer to this, uh, because uh, when you publish the criteria for uh, when can we call it a beta, Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the criteria was it includes on JBoss and Tomcat, and the other criterion was upgrade routines are completed. And then uh, beta one was out, and the first thing that I heard was runs only on Tomcat. And mm-hmm. uh, oh well, upgrades uh, will be fixed; they don't yet work. Um, uh, what do I say? Uh, discuss. Yeah. So <laughs> regarding JBoss, uh, actually, that's an example of when. When you think you know what the requirement is, but you don't really know, uh, our requirement was not so much that it runs on JBoss, but rather that it it works in at, le- in at least two application servers. Mm-hmm. Right? But the second application server had always been JBoss. Uh, it was the easiest. It was it's very very highly used, uh, second to Tomcat, probably running LifeRay. Uh, but then when the team uh, uh, dig deeper on some of the remaining issues with JBoss. Well, the first thing we quickly found out is it's not JBoss anymore, it's Wildfly. Uh, so does it make sense to to release with the latest version of JBoss before the, the change of the name? Mm-hmm. And everybody agreed with no. And I actually went back to the blog entry and renamed JBoss to, to Wildfly once we, we figured that out. That's that's fine. Um, yeah. And then once they started working on it, they, they realized, hey, it's not a name of a change of name um, anymore uh, or a uh, or not only a change of name. Um, it's a really big change. For example, they don't use uh, Tomcat anymore. They've created their own uh, web server. So it's a really big change. And it, supporting Wildfly uh, has required more work than for any other application server that we are supporting in this release. Mm-hmm. Right? So once we realized that, we said, what do we do? We, we cannot really meet that requirement. Uh, because it's going to take uh, a long while. Uh, so what is the what did we really want to do? We wanted to make sure that it was working with at least another application server, right? And and it was that that was met. Probably that was not clearly communicated mm-hmm. uh, because, as you said, what you heard is it only works with Tomcat, right? Yep. But probably that meant out of JBoss and Tomcat, it's only Tomcat. I think the other one was Resin. That's the only one we we knew it was already working by then. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that's um, that's that's a whole story. 
And regarding upgrades, um, I haven't heard it the way you have. Uh, I think, uh, well, we have in Library 7 um, a much better upgrade system that has tried to address many of the issues that have come up. Uh, and of course, we're talking about the data upgrade, right? Yes. Um, and it is a much more powerful system, uh, much more uh, controllable. So you know exactly, there are many steps, you know which step you are. You can even, in some cases, uh, reproduce from the last stable position. So it's much better. Uh, but as a result, all of the upgrade processes that had been written during the last two years, uh, they were, they had to be rewritten or they had to be, well, at the end, we were able to figure out a way to not rewrite them and, and with some improvements to the framework, uh, they would just need to be slightly adapted to the new way. Mm-hmm. That, that took some time and that's what we consider to be a requirement. And that's what we also met. Now, what happens when you make this type of changes is sometimes you underestimate the, the consequences. And once beta was out, we quickly realized, I think it was after it was out, we quickly realized that there were quite a few uh, bugs in, in those specific uh, upgrade processes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they had to be fixed. So that's why I don't remember the exact way in which it was done, but we said, hey, we are be careful with the upgrade. Don't expect it to be perfect at all because we've already found uh, issues and, and they are known issues and, and we are working on them. And actually the, the upgrade process is, is one of the ones that we've put most more effort uh, for this release as well. And we are getting a lot of feedback both internally inside the house and, and also some of it external as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we're, we're putting a lot of work into that. It's, it's one of the things that, uh, yeah, we're just even still working today uh, in, in two areas. One of them is um, reliability. Yep. And the other one is performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, performance is, is really important and, and it's at the same time really hard. Uh, performance, it's related to scalability. When you have huge amounts of data of a certain type, then how fast is the, is the process going to be? So we've actually been working with some of our larger customers um, and take their databases and upgrade and see, wow, it takes a long or much more than we, we wanted to. And we've tried to find uh, ways to optimize that. So yeah, that's, that's been an incredible process. Uh, very proud of the guys working on it. Okay, yeah, I can attest on that uh, because I have connected several of our customers to uh, the engineering team doing the upgrade routines. And uh, I can also provide a peek ahead in Radio Life episodes because uh, it is already recorded, but uh, still will be scheduled to be out after this one. Uh, I think two episodes after this release will be on performance tuning. Uh, and I talked to Preston Crary, mm-hmm. uh, who did quite a lot on performance tuning. Uh, and we even covered uh, things like, uh, what was that? Uh, well, tuning upgrade routines, which were significantly faster uh, after he got his hand on it, or he or his team got, his, got the hands uh, on the upgrade routines. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also followed um, several of our consultants uh, discussing internally uh, their experience on upgrades, and it seems to be that uh, significant improvement came out of that. Uh, nice. 
Okay, um, that brings me to the ever-popular question um, that I think I have asked every second uh, guest on Radio Liferay, uh, which is the release date. When will it be out? And let me just preempt your answer. Why won't you tell us? <laughs> uh, I... Yeah, it is true. Uh, you remind me that I, I don't like uh, setting a specific dates. Uh, I'm also uh, not a big fan of doing estimates in software because I think most estimates, there are some exceptions, they, they're just wishful thinking. Uh, so I, I think I, those I are my words. <laughs> If I remember correctly uh, from, uh, from the way that uh, James uh, uh, announced 6.2 GA3, I mm -hmm. think I named that wishful thinking. Um, so it sounds very familiar. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Those of you... Who, uh, yeah. And that's not only related to to releases, but to, to everything. And I still make the mistake sometimes of asking, when is this going to be done to a developer? But in general, I, I try to avoid it. Uh, and I think just by doing that, you're, you're preventing from having a, a better um, solution for, for the problem, right? Which is have the right expectations. And in this case, uh, uh, one of the goals of, of this beta and release candidate process is to try to give some uh, more feedback to the people waiting for an answer on what's going on. I think there is a lot of room for improvement. It's We're just scratching the surface. But I think instead of just giving a date, which the, the only way to meet dates, all the people that I know that always meet dates, is because they know they'll be, it'll be done in, for example, three days, and they say it'll be done in two weeks. <laughs> Just like a Scotty from Star Trek. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's the one way to meet, to meet estimates. And even then, you missed some, right? So uh, I don't like doing that. I, I don't like lying to people. So I think it's more honest to not give a date. Uh, sometimes I do give uh, what the goal is. Well, my goal is, uh, a goal is not an estimate, uh, but what we're trying to to achieve, right? And, and our goal has been for a while to, to release it uh, the first quarter of, of this year. I think uh, I may have mentioned that in, in one of our last events. Mm -hmm. That's still the goal. Um, goals are goals, so uh, that they, can always, they cannot always be met. And we're already approaching the end of the quarter, but um, if we don't meet it, I think we're going to be very close. Sounds good. And we're recording this, uh, I was about to say this earlier, on the 3rd of March. Uh, so there's almost a month left in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. And it'll probably be out uh, mid of March. Um, so uh, we'll see how, how close we are uh, to the release date. Okay. Um, good. Uh, there are two things um, that are now rather softball, um, but I still like to talk about that. Uh, which is uh, just in case there's somebody listening who would totally love to work in life engineering. What's it like to be hired, and and what's the is there any process uh, on there that you can share, or what should I do if I'm interested in going in uh, into engineering? Yeah, what, yeah. Anyone interested? We are always looking for for good people, good developers, good testers, uh, even. Good project managers. We do have a lot of project managers within engineering, uh, but we do have some, and they are very valuable. We're actually looking for one in Spain right now. Um, I mean, we are hiring for 
designers, uh, interaction designers, visual designers. So we are always looking for, for very bright people. We've always had the, the, this policy in, in, in library, which is uh, whenever we find someone bright, someone who can add a lot of value, uh, just, just hire them and, and we'll find a position. And obviously, we also have a specific positions that we, we proactively look for people. So any advice for anyone who would like to work for library would be go to library.com slash careers, try to look for a position uh, where we are uh, looking for proactively and submit your, your CV. And if you don't find one that quite matches what you're looking for, still send us your CV or even apply to the closest one and say, hey, I've applied this because it's the closest one, but what I would really love is this. So if, if you're passionate about joining library, write a letter, let us know why. Or if you're passionate about you know, developing software, testing software, designing, um, whatever you're passionate about, if you think that will make you a good employee of, of library, let us know. That's super valuable and, and that makes a difference. So once you've done that, the process of, uh, the selection process, it's, it's actually hard. Um, it usually changes a little bit from office to office, but in general, it starts with a phone interview. Uh, there could be one or more. Then following that, there is an exercise, some practical uh, exercise that it's um, a little bit artificial, but at the same time close to the work or part of the work that the candidate would be doing at Library. Sometimes that exercise, if it ha didn't happen with a phone interview, uh, allows us to realize, okay, this guy is not so good for this position, but he would be really good in this other position. And we offer to uh, switch to, the, to another selection process, uh, which may involve repeating some parts. And... If that is done, then there is the the face-to-face -face interview, which again there might be one or, or more than one. Uh, when the candidate is remote, we try to fly them in at whatever office uh, he's going to be working on uh, most, um, or try to meet at an event. And on, only in some very specific cases, we've just gone on with with face-to-face uh, -face interviews via Skype or or some other conferencing system. Mm -hmm. So it, it usually takes um, a while. We're actually trying to reduce the, the time it takes because sometimes it takes up to two, two months to go through the whole process and we are trying to reduce that. But um, we take it very seriously. We try to make sure that uh, whoever um, joins, that you know, we, we follow a, a good selection process. And I think that's very beneficial for everybody because once you join, and that's to me probably the, the one of the mo of the uh, best attractives of working for Library is that you are going to be surrounded with you know top level people in whatever position you, you're going to be joining. Like some of the best developers I, I've seen, some of the best testers, some of the best designers. So uh, I think that's one of the best prices of. of joining a company, right? When you are surrounded with people you can learn from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and the other attractive part is that there are offices all over the world. Um, yep. So it's there's probably one close to everyone. Yeah. Um, speaking of offices, uh, the Spanish office just volunteered to be the most beautiful library office 
um, as far as I've seen, uh, like on the photos that uh, you guys uh, spread on Twitter to uh, to make everybody else envious uh, of that office. So what's it like to be working in that kind of an office? And uh, whose idea was it? Who who did the uh, the design in there? Okay. Well, first of all, thank you. It's yeah, it's a new office. We just moved uh, less than three months ago, and in my opinion, it is indeed beautiful. Uh, but to be honest, I don't even think that's that's the most important thing. Um, as we were designing it, the, the goal was that it, it was first a place where you would want to come work, that you would feel great about coming to work here. And second, it's a, a place where you can feel productive. And that the, the first one is a prerequisite. The second one is probably where we put all of our effort, right? Mm -hmm. um, there is this general trend over the last quite a few years, actually, with these big floor, uh, open floor plans. You know, Facebook is is famous for having the biggest one in the world. Uh, our experience, and it seems that lately it's also the experience of others, is that that didn't really um, benefit a lot the productivity of people. People very often felt unproductive at work and said, I'm just going to go home to get something done. Um, I think that depends on the culture of the, of its office in Spain in general, and definitely at Life Ray. You know, people work out, um, they, they, people talk a lot while they are in their, in their workplace and, and they sometimes talk very loud. Um, I'm famous here for, especially in our previous office for telling people to keep the tone down. Um, and after all, with this open floor plan, even if it wasn't super large, uh, there were a lot of distractions, both um, visual and, and sound distractions. Mm -hmm. So we tried to, to solve that and we came up with, with a solution. We got inspiration from many offices from other companies. Probably some of the offices of Spotify in Estocolm were one of the ones that we liked most. Uh, although we've also adapted it to our own way. So we've tried to find a balance between letting people be productive on their own. That's what we found make people happy when you feel productive. When you don't feel productive, you are very happy. Uh, you don't want to be there. But at the same time, to have a lot of areas where you can collaborate, which is one of the main benefits of, of having an office. Right? And, and while we have a quite permissive policies on working from home and lots of people work remote and most of our communication is remote, we still see a lot of value for ourselves in working face-to-face -face with people. So the office also had to, I mean, the, the main benefit of having an office is, is to allow for that. So it was designed around that. Um, yeah, and there are many areas. We even have a tree in the middle of the office and, and around the tree there are sounds of birds and water. So it's kind of funny that you can go there and you feel that you are outside mm -hmm. uh, in, in nature. Uh, even from where I'm right now, I can see a very large landscape of grass and mountains. And uh, behind me, I have a... That's through a the window or in the office? Uh, in the office. Uh, a beautiful landscape of trees, all green. Mm -hmm. That's, those are just very large pictures that are printed in the office. Uh, the office also has uh, really big windows from top to bottom, so you can also see the outside. But we're in the middle of a city, so mm -hmm. uh, 
it's nice but not as nice. <laughs> so we try to complement that with these beautiful and big pictures. I guess I'll have to start my Spanish course and apply for a slot in the next Spanish symposium. Yeah. Oh, one of the things that I would like to highlight because I haven't seen that so much and it's working beautifully is that anyone has their own desk. Mm -hmm. um, but there are also many other places, at least four or five other places where they can go work. And that was a result of some research that, uh, that we, we've done ourselves showing that people sometimes, especially certain type of people, need to change their context mm -hmm. to continue being productive. That being in the same context all the time uh, does not make people uh, productive. So apart from that, we have couches in certain areas where people are actually going and working. We also have some desks uh, that are... Uh, in the middle of the office, they are not assigned to anyone and they are a little bit apart from everybody else. So you can have semi-privacy just by going there. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have some of those desks that are just one monitor with two chairs that are designed for doing things such as pair programming or, or code reviews or design reviews, things like that. We also have a very beautiful cafe. And some people, especially the designers, go love going there and... and they seem to get inspiration by working at a cafe. Before that, they actually sometimes went into a Starbucks and work from there. Now they prefer working from more life cafe. Mm -hmm. uh, there are also private, um, I don't know how to call them, like booths no, or cabinets, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, they're small and you completely close, completely isolated, don't get any noise. That's where I am right now in one of them. Mm -hmm. um, so there are very different places where you can, someone can work on or work from and it's been actually very beautiful how we didn't explain much of this but it's just been happening I've been taking a look and seeing how people actually found them and at times you see there are more people working in these different places than at their desks mm -hmm. I need a few pictures to add them to the blog post to the okay. show notes okay I think there are uh, a few in our Facebook page, if I'm not wrong. But if not, let me know and I'll okay, send yeah, you a few. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to. I, I mean, I've seen some, uh, but it's been a while ago, so I'm not quite sure if I uh, if I uh, scroll down far enough uh, or if it's easier to just send uh, like two or three. I'll, I'll see. If I find them, uh, I'll let you know. Or otherwise, if I don't find them, I'll let you know. Yeah. One other thing that I, just in case we have people listening this from Madrid, one other uh interesting things of the office is we have what we call the library agora uh, mm -hmm. the library agora is is uh, an area of the office which is designed to to give talks and listen to talks and it's it resembles kind of resembles right with a modern style the, the agoras of of the greeks when someone very smart like socrates or, or pluto uh, gave a speech and everybody listened. So it's kind of like that. And we use it for internal trainings and internal tech talks, but we are also offering it for the community, not only the library community, but also the technical community in general. And we're already having talks from people in the Agile community or in the in the Java user group in, in Spain, uh, the craftsmanship group in, in Spain as well. And and yeah, it's it's open for any of these groups that they want to uh, organize whatever talk or, or discussion, it's a beautiful area. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to remind anyone listening that it's it's open for the community. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, there's one thing um, that I would like to add to the end, uh, which is another, uh, I don't know if it will be hardball or softball question, uh, because, hey, you are the... Uh, VP of engineering, you are the uh, the guy who can tell all the engineers what they do. And I would like to ask you in preparation for the next episode coming up now, which I'll do with Cody and Jim Hinky from the documentation team. It seems to be forbidden to write any Java doc for any of the engineers. And do you have any plans to change that? Yeah, you're right. I mean, we probably shouldn't say that in public, but it's it's forbidden. We have this internal policy that if someone is not uh, able to read uh, the source code of LifeRay and figure out what it does, they are not worthy of using it. Perfect answer. Yeah, <laughs> I prefer to be open about it. We've been, we've been, yeah, <laughs> okay. saying it for too long. This is now quotable and on the internet. Do you, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to add anything to it? Uh, yeah. Actually, it's it's too late. Right now, our audio connection breaks down. Um. (laughs) I did that one uh, once in which I I announced um, that we were rewriting all of LifeRay in .NET. And some people tweeted it before I could say it's a joke in the next slide. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, that's probably happening here. I look look for that. No, so um, Javadocs are... uh, Actually, one of our uh, recognized weaknesses. Uh, there is a story behind it. I think it's been mentioned in, in previous uh, Radio Life Free episodes. Uh, I think, uh, especially Brian, but not only Brian, it's happened to me and to other people as well that we've experienced when Javadoc is bad. And, and when Javadoc is bad, we believe, and not, not everybody agrees, but we do believe that it's worse than, than not having any Javadoc. Um, and then the the other thing that um, is a challenge for us is that most of LifeRay's developers are not native English speakers. So the Java docs that come out of those people, um, it's it needs to be reviewed, right? So because of that, we have a strict process and a strict review process for ensuring high quality, and we haven't been able to find uh, the process that you know ensures high enough quality, but doesn't prevent or doesn't defer um, writing Java docs because right now that's that's what is happening. Mm-hmm. So we also have other initiatives in place apart from um, improving that at the source, at the source, which is as US. Are writing a, a public API. Uh, you need to uh, write um, the Java doc, right? That, that's that's what will be the ideal solution in my mind. That will be very uh, welcome. Yes. But this this process is is not there yet. Uh, we haven't found the right balance. Uh, the balance right now it's clearly on the side of high quality, even at the expense of not a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so quali- uh, quality is is good, but quantity is clearly affected. Now, in parallel to that, we have internal contests, which you are the lucky winner of last year, as far as I know, uh, to afterwards write Java docs. And, and yeah, I've, there are people within our knowledge management team uh, working hard during this context, writing Java docs for the most used APIs. So uh, that that's definitely valuable work that I hope it's going to make an impact and, and people will appreciate it. Uh-huh. 
Okay. Our audio connection is, is getting worse and worse significantly, but uh, I would like to point out a neat little thing that I have just published today, which is the uh, episode pointer. Uh, the old episode with Jim Hinkey is episode 21, and the best way to find it is actually just go to radioliferay.com slash episode slash 21. Brand new, um, started today. And uh, the next episode will be the one after this, which is scheduled to be out as 57. So the next Javadoc ep episode will be 58. So radioliferay.com slash episode slash 58 once it's published, of course. I'm testing that right now. Yeah, so that you don't lie to anyone. Yeah, just try no, any, it, it any is, up to 55, is which is currently uh, up to 55 currently works at the time of this recording. And then once the other ones are out and not everybody is listening this right the day it gets out, uh, it Very will nice. work on all of the others as well. Good job, Olaf. <laughs> well, it always makes it easier to, to link if you just know the number. And I'm thinking of adding uh, names and tags and so on to it and, and just give you the um, uh, give you some other options. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see. Okay, I think that I don't have any more Columbo-ish uh, points. Uh, at least there's none more on my list. So I would like to thank you for your very extensive time uh, to come up for two episodes in a row and uh, Uh, well, I hope to see the office, to get some chance to see the office, uh, even if it is at the price to learn some more Spanish than I currently do. <laughs> yeah, you're always welcome. Jorge, gracias for, um, for your availability and for all the information, because you totally have opened my eyes on some of the things that I only saw from one perspective so far. Mm -hmm. well, glad to be of help. I hope it's, it's useful for everybody listening to. <laughs> 